Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Lots of things happen in our lives, and although at the time we can't see the purpose of it, I want you to know that God is redeeming our everyday moments. If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in our series in Ruth. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 2. And we have been, last week we dug, we went deep. We actually covered every single verse in the first chapter as we talked about the, this, this story, this amazing love story that God has left for you and I today. And I'm going to have you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. Ruth chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse number 3. Actually, we're just going to read verse number 3. And the Bible says, So she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to come to the field, who was part of the, the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. This morning, I want to talk to you about providence, personal choices, and God's big plan for our lives. This Thursday is National Day of Prayer, and uh, we will be gathering as the church family with thousands of churches around the world from 12 to 1 o'clock. If you could join us, we would love to have you join us as we pray for our nation, we pray for our country, we believe God's best for us, but we we know that there's a, a great tide of wickedness uh, in this nation, and we are going to pray that God's redemptive love would be poured out in a great way in our generation. Let us pray this morning. Father, we thank you uh, for the great grace that we've already experienced, that you are the God who is with us. We sense that in our worship, Lord, as we lifted your name up. And Lord, I ask right now that in these next few moments, I pray that you'll give us spiritual ears to hear. God, I pray that you'll give me a mouth to speak. And Lord, as we pray for our nation, God, that we will not be a nation divided, but we will be a nation united around the cause of freedom and about the expression of unity and liberty and justice for all. God, I pray today, Lord, that you will speak to our leaders. You will protect our leaders. God, I pray for our men and women that are in military today as they are stationed around the world with the potential threat of war being very high, Lord, with the situation in North Korea. And God, we are praying your peace. We're praying the peace of God. You are the Prince of Peace, and we're praying your peace over our leaders. We're praying, Lord, for the situation today. We give our military. We pray for our military men and women, God, that you will strengthen them, Lord, as this possibility looms in the horizon. God, we thank you that you are a God of grace today, and nothing happens outside of your providence and sovereignty. And so we are trusting you today. We ask now, Lord Jesus, that you will bless this day in your wonderful and mighty name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I want to kind of give you a recap of last week, and I talked about the significance, several of the, the themes of the book of Ruth, and, and one of the significances that we see in the book of Ruth is names. One of the, uh, every name and every place mentioned is significant in this story. We talked about the name of, uh, of Orpah, who literally means stiff-necked one. We talked about the name Naomi, who means a pleasant one, and Ruth, who means beautiful one. Uh, we talked about Elimelech, whose name meant God is my king. And Naomi and Elimelech had two sons, two Klingon sons, named Malon and Kilion. The, the, the names meant sickness and disease. 
So as we looked at this theme, as we saw their names and the word picture that the Hebrew expresses, we, we begin to realize that God was a God of providence. We see the hand of God working in the life of Ruth and of these individuals. And this theme of love and loyalty with, with Ruth making the decision to st stay with Naomi even when Orpah went her own way. And then we ultimately see the story as a story of redemption and reward. As we look at chapter 2 today, we're going to see all of these themes running through this chapter. You see, these women, these three, these three single women that were left, they were left single because uh, their husbands had died, had some really challenging choices to make. You know, our, the generation that we live in today in America is the first time in American history that there have been more singles than married couples. I mean, there's lots of sociological reasons behind that, but it's very interesting. There are more single people today in this country than there are married people for the very first time in our history. And being single presents itself with some real life challenges, challenges that are different than married couples have. Married couples have challenges, but single people have challenges. And so if you're single today, God's speaking to you. God's got something to say to you. But I believe God has something to say to all of us in this room today. This, this chapter that we're about to embark on, we're going to see the hand of God in a very providential way on the life of Ruth. I want you to look at verse number one with me. I want you to see God's hand of providence in our, in our daily life in verse number one. And the Bible says, Naomi had a relative or a kinsman of her husband's family, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. Naomi had a relative of her husband. This man just so happened to be of the same clan. Now, in Israel, there were family members, there were clan members, a group of clans made up a tribe. They were of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise. But they were of the family of Elimelech. He, this man just doesn't just happen to show up in this picture. There is a providential hand of God at work behind this. See, God is always working behind the scenes of our lives. Boaz, his name means worthy man, a worthy man or a wealthy man. The word also translated as a man of valor. This man, Boaz, he is a worthy man. He's a wealthy man, but we'll see in the story he's a very wise man. As we see him introduced into our story, and I want you to look at verse number two. The Bible says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. You see, they're in a time, they've, they've experienced famine, uh, they, 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 they left the place of bread, the place of Bethel. They went to Moab based on a bad decision because of Elimelech. In uh, the time of famine, they also experienced funerals. Three men had died. But there is this woman of faith, this one woman. Orpah decided to go on her own way, fulfilling the promise of her name, which meant to be stubborn one or one who turns away. Naomi, whose name means pleasant, is anything but pleasant. She's actually renamed herself Bitter Woman. So we have this bitter old woman, this bitter lady who's mad at God, who's angry and frustrated about her position in life. And then we have this girl named Ruth, a Moabite. Moabites were not allowed to be part of the Israeli community. They, they were a result of an incestuous relationship that Lot had had with his daughters hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. 
They were a pagan people. Their god, Chimneth, was, was the god that the, the Moabites worshipped. And, and it was a god of all kinds of sexual deviancies and practices. And they did all kinds of crazy things in the name of the worship of their god. And the Moabite people were people who were far from God. And God had warned the children of Israel, don't go and intermingle with the Moabite people because they will turn your hearts away from God. And so we see this dad, this Elimelech, this man whose name God is my king, live like anything but God was his king. But along the way, along the way, his two sons marry. And he, one of them marries this woman by the name of Ruth. Ruth has some kind of revelation. We're not sure how this takes place. The story doesn't tell us. But there's something about the God of Naomi that resonates in her spirit as true. It's happened to many of you in this room. Maybe you were far from God, but someone started talking to you about Jesus. You know, you hadn't really given God much thought, or maybe if you did, it was kind of a religious thing, but someone no, talk, started talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And you're like, wow, I don't, I don't know about that. But then in your heart and your spirit, as you begin to ponder it, that reality or that potential of that being really real started to become a revelation. And at some moment, many of you in this room had a change of heart. You had a change of heart. You said yes to that work of Jesus in your life. You said yes to Jesus being your Lord and Savior. You welcomed him as your God and King. And that's exactly what happened to Ruth. Somewhere along the line, she put her faith and hope in the God of Naomi. Why don't you look at this verse number two. This, this providence that she's living out, this faith that she is living out, it's not passive. Faith is not passive. See, there was a famine in the land. They had no food. They were broke. They were busted. They were disgusted. They were poor women, poor widowed women with no hope of a preferred future. And this woman, Naomi, this woman, Ruth, isn't going to let destiny just fall her way. She's going to do something about it. Look what she says to her mother-in-law here. She says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. She takes initiative. There's a problem and she's going to look for a solution. You see, there's two kinds of people. You see, Naomi was a believer, but she was so embittered, so angry, so mad at God, she's just going to sit down. It, poor me. She played what I call the victim mindset of life. But Ruth had a completely different mindset. Ruth had a victor's mindset. Ruth decided to get up. You know what? I'm going to go out and see if I can make something happen in our life. See, li life doesn't begin to change until we are willing to take personal responsibility for our own actions. And we see it right here. She says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Maybe I will find favor, she said to her. Maybe I'll find favor. Maybe the door will open for me. Some, maybe something good will take place in my life. This whole concept of gleaning is an Old Testament concept, and basically it was God's Old Testament way of taking care of the poor, the needy, and the orphans. It was God's social service system. It was God's food stamp program. It was a, a way for the people who didn't have, it was a way for them to be taken care of. And as a matter of fact, it was a law. It was a command of God that they were to allow enough left over in their fields when they were harvesting that the poor and the needy and the distressed could come behind and glean. Take what was left over. Leviticus chapter 32, 23, the Bible says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. 
I am the Lord your God. You see, God wasn't looking to give people a handout. God wanted to lift people up. It's not about a handout today, but it's a hand up. You see, there's something that happens, and we take personal initiative, and we take that step of faith, and we begin. We don't see the end. We don't know how it's going to work out, but we trust that God is in complete control of our life. We trust that the God who takes care of the sparrow and sees the lily of the field is the same God who will take care of us. And that's exactly what Ruth does. The year was 1988, and my wife and I had just moved from, from Arizona. We had gone from Portland, where we had gotten married, in the Northwest, and then we went to Arizona for one year. And after that year, I finished my Bible college in Seattle, Washington. So that first several months in Seattle, neither one of us had jobs. We went to a community where we didn't know anybody. It would be much like what Ruth and, and experienced here going, to Bethel, going back to Bethel with Naomi. She doesn't know anybody. I remember not knowing where the grocery store was. I remember actually it was before the days of GPS, and I was afraid to leave my house because I wasn't sure if I went to the grocery store, I'd find my way back because I got a, a special gift. It's called directional impairment. <laughs> I remember that feeling. I don't know if I'm going to leave the house here. This is a weird sensation, not knowing anyone, not having any friends. And my wife and I began to look for work, and, and I was a student in school, and I was trying to get registered. And my wife went out to work, and she worked in a job for three months. She was working for a, a company that recruited uh, uh, employment for people. And as she was working this job, nothing was working wasn't working out then it was very challenging and very difficult and over the three-month period they maybe paid her $500 it was a commission-only job and I remember at the time thinking this is crazy some weeks she'd bring home a check I mean a very small check and some weeks and our some weeks she wouldn't bring home anything and I at that time was just trying to get acclimated to school and and so I wasn't working at the time and her savings was getting very very low I remember one night we got down on our knees we, we were at the very end. We, we were broke Bible college students, and there I'm on my knees before the Lord. And I said, Lord, uh, we need you to give clear direction. Lord, we, we're not sure what to do here. I remember as we prayed together, the next day my wife went into work, and, and she, she had come into work, and the company that she worked for said, you know, things aren't working here. We've decided to shut our doors. So we prayed for God to open a door, and God shuts a door. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how that works? Lo and behold, the girl, the other girl that was working in the office uh, with my wife, her father, was a very, very wealthy businessman in Seattle, Washington. And as my wife was talking to her that day, she just happened to bring up, she said, do you know anyone that might be interested in managing apartments? Well, my wife said, uh, uh, what's the job until? She said, well, my father owns apartments, apartments in Kirkland, Washington. The Bible college that I went to was located in Kirkland, Washington. She said, they're very nice. They're down on the waterfront. And she said, he's looking for someone to be a manager. My wife came home that day. And she said, do you know, uh, you might be interested in doing some kind of apartment managing? I'm like, I don't know. I remember my mom talking about how difficult they'd own some rentals and how difficult they were. And, but I had no other open doors before me. And I said, yes, let's give that a shot. And so I went and interviewed the next day, I interviewed with the man that owned these apartments. And as I was interviewing, he said, how old are you again? I said, I'm 28. I'm 26. He said, man, he goes, I have a son who's 35. He said, you're more mature. You're better spoken. He said, you got the job. And I said, thank you, sir. I, in one moment, I went from not having anything to having full employment. Just literally a mile from the university that I went to, I got a paycheck. I got free rent, 
free, free room and board, and one fell swoon. I had a 403B and my insurance taken care of. Come on, can you give God a great big hand? You know, when you're in the struggle, it doesn't make sense. Ruth was in the struggle. They were in a time of famine. They were poor. They were broke. They had nothing. But she didn't have a poverty mindset. She had a victor's mindset. And so verse number three, so Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She just happened to. Life just happened for her. She just stumbled onto this certain field. You know, this, this whole concept of coincidence, chance, fate, and luck is something that permeates our culture. People buy lucky rabbit's charms, or they, they have little, little lucky things up on their dashboard, little bobbleheads. People have all kinds of little things that they do to, to wish good, themselves good luck or good fortune. But the fact is, in scriptures, there's no such thing. As a matter of fact, the writer of the Hebrews has a play on words. It's kind of like, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, this just happened to take place. This just happened in her life. I had several instances in my life that took place that I really, really, really begin to realize how completely sovereign God is in my world. Many years ago, after I had gotten saved, I was praying, and I was a prayer warrior, and I still love to pray, but I had written down names of every single person that I could think of that was lost. I had these great big white butcher block pieces of paper, and I wrote people's names down, and I would literally pray for their salvation every single day. I love to pray for people who are lost. Every person that I worked with in the job was lost. And I used to listen to talk radio when I was in Bible college. I listened to a guy named Larry King. At that time, Larry King was the most famous talk radio guy in the world. He was a great interviewer. He told a great yarn. He was just, he was a funny guy, but he was a very brilliant man, and he interviewed people just brilliantly. One night I was listening to Larry King, and he was telling a story. And as he was telling the story, I got a burden for him. I can't, I don't know why, I've never had this kind of burden for a public entertainer quite like that before, but I got a burden for Larry King. I started praying. I was in my car. I was praying in the Holy Ghost. I was praying for Larry's salvation. I was praying for his soul. I was praying that God would touch his life in some way. The very next day, I went back to work. I worked at a restaurant. I worked in a dining room called the Gold Room. I went from the tack room to the Gold Room, and I was working at the Gold Room. And the, the Gold Room was located up in the foothills of Tucson, Arizona. And as I was looking over the landscape, I was actually looking over the city, the sun was going down, and I was dressed in my tuxedo, and I was just looking at the scenery. And I looked to my right, about from here to the water baptism, guess who stood there? Larry King. I'm like, no way, this can't be. I'm actually, I was scared to death. I mean, I had waited on other famous people, but I mean, this was such a coincidence. This was such a like mind blowing, I didn't even know what to say to him. So I went up and started making small talk. He was a big baseball guy, and I grew up, you know, baseball, and made small talk to him and tried to talk to him a little bit. But I realized at that very moment, I realized at that very moment that God hears every prayer. Years ago, I was in Bible college, and actually we were pastoring in Seattle, and I was studying one day at my computer. And I was reading an article by this man. This man's name is Josh McDowell. Some of you know him. He's written a book entitled Evidence Demands a Verdict. He's a very famous Christian apologist. And I was reading a book by, I was reading an article about him, and he was talking about a man by the name of C.K. Chesterton. I still remember it. Chesterton was a Christian philosopher, kind of in the lines of C.S. Lewis, and I was thinking about Josh McDowell, and I just had a thought. So the first person I had a prayer, that was Larry Lee, this person here, I had a thought. 
I said, wouldn't it be really cool to meet Josh McDowell? I'd like to ask him a few questions. I didn't think much about it. It was literally just a thought that went through my mind. Later that week, my wife and I flew down to Tucson, Arizona. And as I got on the airplane, I was sitting on the airplane with Austin was in the middle and Laura was on the other side. And I was just sitting there. And, and as I looked up, I see this man walking straight towards me down the airplane aisle. Guess who it is? Josh McDowell. Now, there's lots of seats that he could sit on on a 737. Lots of seats. Guess what seat Josh McDowell sat on? He sat on the seat right next to me. Wow. God heard a prayer. God heard a thought. And then this last person, God spoke to me through impression. Very fascinating. I was going, it's also interesting how this happened to be in an airport, but I had gone down to MCO a couple of years ago. I had a wedding to perform in Phoenix. And so I went to the airport and as I had just grabbed my bags and I'd walked through the door of the airport, I see this Hasidic Jew, this, this rabbi, I didn't know he was a rabbi at the time, but I see this Hasidic Jew and he's carrying his suitcase through the airport. And all of a sudden I have this impression, this strong impression that I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet this man. Don't have that often. As I checked in, I didn't even know what airline he was on. We were, we were both literally just pulling into the airport at that time. As I got into the airplane, I get in my seat. I'm looking at my iPad, and I look up, and lo and behold, guess who comes walking down the walkway? This man, Rabbi Phineas. Hundreds of seats, hundreds of seats on this airplane. And guess what seat he sat next to? He sat next to my seat. We developed a friendship off that relationship. And in that moment, I realized how providential God is in our lives. The fact is, folks, God sees. God cares. God knows every single detail of your life, even when you can't see, because God is redeeming our everyday moments. Look what happens here. Look at verses 4 through 13. God's providence and our personal choices. Verse number 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, Lord, be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. See, Boaz, this man who was a worthy man, he was also a wealthy man. He was God's man. He was a man of blessing. He was a man who, who, who not only knew the word of God, he desired to live by the word of God. And he comes into the fields and he sees his workers. And he says, the Lord bless you. This is a strong affirmation of blessing. This is a man who shows concern for those who are his employees. He wants the very, very best for them. See, he takes interest in these people. And then they respond back, the same to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I worked for some bosses that if they came in and said, the Lord bless you, the first thought you would have is that they're up to something. Right? I mean, a lot of you have bosses. When you think of your boss, you think of a pitchfork and a horn sticking out the top. Come on. I mean, a lot of times our, our, our perspective and our feelings about the people we work for aren't always that good. But this man had something different about him, the way that he perceived the people that worked for him. There was a, a very famous, there's a very wealthy entrepreneur in America. His name is David Green. He started a little business out of his house with 600 bucks called Hobby Lobby. David Green has now become, he's made it to the Forbes for, uh, Fortune 400 list, and he's trying to figure out how to get off that list, and he's living his life to give all of his wealth away. But over the last 40 years, God has blessed his business in such a way that now his business does over $4.2 billion a year. They give away 50% of their profits. 
I heard a story this week. I actually watched an interview with him with Neil Kavoda this week, and he was talking about God and giving God all the credit in his life. And he's talking about his value in his heart to serve his employees. He had a Muslim girl that works for him, and it's a Christian company. It's very it's stated in their values. It's stated in who they are. You can go to their website, and you can see right on there. Their business is to honor God and to serve their employees and, and to produce a product that's of quality and a, a service that's reputable so that they can make a profit. They don't make any apologies. They want to make a profit, but they give over 50% of their profit away to charitable causes. They're actually the largest proponent of language translation of the Bible of any person, any business, any person in the history of the world. If you have a Bible app today called YouVersion, it's because of David Green. If you can look up the, today you can look up the, the YouVersion, you can look up a translation of the Bible in over a thousand different languages. That's because of David Green. David Green is a man who loves God, but he also cares about his employees. Uh, he was telling a story with Neil Kavoda this week, and he was talking about how that, how that he had a, uh, an employee who was a Muslim. And one day he was walking by the lunchroom, and he saw that she wasn't sitting with the rest of the employees. And so he, he thought, well, that's kind of strange. And after a couple of days of noticing that, he went to ask her, why, wouldn't she, why wasn't she sitting with the other employees? And she said, well, there's no food in the cafeteria for me to eat. She said, I'm a Muslim, and, and, and because of my religious beliefs, there's nothing there that I can eat that we have in our, in our cafeteria. He said, immediately in that moment, he said, from this day forward, that'll never be the case. He said, because we care about our employees. We love, we are called to love our neighbor as ourself. You talk about speaking volumes to a person who doesn't have the same faith and the same ideology. When you go out of your way to be a blessing, to speak a blessing to people who are different than you, Jesus said, Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Someone said amen. Boaz had this kind of heart towards him, his employees. It was the kind of man that Boaz was. The employees were also good employees. You see what happens when we take care of other people. If you're a boss today, if you serve other people, other people will serve you. Other people will serve you. And so we see this story continue in verse number five. And the Bible says, Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reaper, Whose young woman is this? Whose young woman is this? I mean, he's looking, he's, he's a good boss, he's taking care of, of his investment, he, he knows who his employees is, and all of a sudden he sees a gleaner in the field that he doesn't recognize. There's someone that, that he's never seen before. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she was continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. He's like, whose family is this? I mean, like, what's her family background? Where does she come from? What does she want? Their, their response is classic. Well, she's a Moabite. She's part of Naomi's family. She has no food, but she's been working her butt off all day. We're not, sure she, we're not sure who she is or what she wants, but, but she came here pretty broke. She came here destitute. I, I love the way that the story begins to play out. Boaz is looking. Boaz is starting to take interest in this girl by the name of Ruth. What did he notice about her? He noticed that there was something different about her life. She was diligent. I mean, other people around her noticed that she was a worker. You see, diligence, the truth is diligence and hard work will set you apart from 80% of other people. When you go to work with the right perspective, 
When you under, this story isn't about work, but listen, the fact that she was noticed because she was diligent in what she did. The proverb says that a diligent hand will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. When we are doing our part, when we are working as unto the Lord, God opens doors. When we are doing our part and we are working unto the Lord, God sees. But not only does God see, other people see. Verse number eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Two things happen here. He offers her this good man, offers her provision and community. Listen, stay right here. Don't go to another field. Stay close to my young women. See, the fact is that everyone in this room has two great desires. You have a desire for provision. You have a desire for, for, to be able to pay your bills and to, to, take care of your, to take care of your rent and provide for your family. And you want community. I mean, part of the reason that people go to a local church is because they're looking for community with other be- believers, other people who are like them. And Boaz offers her both of these things. Because the fact is, the world that she lives in is very cruel. It's very mean. You know, as I looked at this thought, and as I looked at this story, I began to think, you know, Boaz, he's got to be looking like, this is pretty, this is interesting. Here, I'm a single dude. I'm a single guy. Uh, the scripture doesn't tell us how old he is, but he's quite a bit older. He's wealthy. He's worthy. He's wise. He's called the mighty man of valor. He, 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 he's, a, he's, a, he's a man who is, who, who is in charge. And, and you've got to think, why is he not married? I mean, is there like something wrong? But God's providence is at work in his life as well. He says, listen, listen, Ruth, you you don't need to go out there because I want you to see what happens in verse number nine. Let your eyes be in the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? This guy, he knows what's out there. He knows that the world is a cruel place. As a matter of fact, this guy, uh, uh, Boaz, issues the first sexual harassment policy found in human history. Come on, he's a good man. He sets out to protect this young lady from the bad dudes that are out there. And there's a lot of bad dudes out there. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people looking to take advantage. There's a lot of people who are living self-focused lives. They don't care who they hurt. They don't care how the relationship goes. And so Boaz is looking to protect this young woman. And the way he did that, he said, listen, you stay with my girls. You stay in community with these other believers. Listen, today, you want to keep yourself and your heart right before God? Get yourself into a community. Find other believers who are like-minded, who you can pray with, who, who you can study the scriptures with. We, we believe in small groups here because it's in a small group environment that you will connect with other Christians and you'll find caring and you'll be able to grow as you pray and read the Bible together. And someone said, amen. Listen, dudes. Listen, guys. Men. The Bible is very clear in how we are to treat the opposite sex. Paul told Timothy, he said, treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Treat older women as you would your mother and younger women as your own sisters. You see, what what Boaz was doing is he was elevating the position of women in his culture. He was bringing women up to be in equality with the men of their culture. And it's very clear in this story because in this generation, women were considered to just be chattel. They were baby bearers. They didn't have a lot of rights. As a matter of fact, Boaz seeks to protect her, seeks to to provide for her. He actually even tells her at one point to drink the same water that my men drink from from the well. 
See, Boab, has, he's a man with a godly heart. He recognizes that women are created in the image of God just as men. They are image bearers. They're image bearers of the same God that we are. See, godly men, that there's a difference of roles. There's a difference of roles and maybe responsibilities, but we have same worth and value in the eyes of God. This brought forward to the New Testament is very clear. Paul said that there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, but in Christ we are all one. You see, God's perspective is that every human life is valuable. It's why we fight for life at City Church. You see, God's men are not to be chauvinist. We're not chauvinist. We're not bigots. We're called to be men of chivalry. We're called to be men. We're called to protect. We're called to serve. We're called to provide. We're called to love. We're called to come alongside of. See, that's what real men do. Real men recognize that there are a difference in the sexes, but real men also recognize that men are not to take advantage and use women for their own, per, own personal pleasure and resources. You see, personal choices today. Look at verse number 10. You see, then she fell her, on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, she said to him, why have I found such favor in your eyes? Why have I found such favor? She's honest and she's humble. She falls, she recognizes, I mean, why in the world is this happening to me? I mean, how can this be? How can I go from the place of Moab? I've lost my husband. Life is not going well. I'm broke. I have no hope of a prepared future. And I meet this man who wants to protect me and provide for me. How have I found such favor? See, the Bible declares, the Bible tells us that God favors his righteous cause. God's favor is on the life of the believer. The word favor is used all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's translated into the New Testament as grace. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God. It's God's favor and blessing that rests upon your life to do you good. God is for you. He's a good father. He loves you today. He's not, we don't have a bad dad theology. We have a good dad theology. We believe we have a good heavenly father. And he wants to favor your life today. But here's the deal. you got to recognize that it's from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from your father. Every good thing you have in your life is not because you just worked hard, were smarter than someone else, had a better education. No, no. The fact is God gave you the very breath. God gives you the very strength. Deuteronomy said God gives you the power. He gives you the life. He breathes life into you so that you can walk out his favor in your life. She's, come on, amen. I mean, she's got to start to wonder, like, what is up with this dude? Come on, right? I mean, you can see the story. Now, we, we know the rest of the story if you've read it, and I would encourage you to read the rest of the story, but we know the rest of the story. She doesn't know how this is going to play out. It's just by chance that she ends up in this guy's field. It's just by chance that this man, Boaz, takes notice of her. It's just by chance he comes up to her and says, hey, why don't you, why don't you glean with my girls? It's just by chance he, he makes an edict that she, he's going to protect her from the other men, the other young men that want to take advantage of her in the community. It's just by chance all these things are taking place in her life. She recognizes something is different. So what is this guy's motive? What is he up to? If you're a single lady in the room, that's not a bad question to ask. I mean, you meet the man of your dreams. At least that's what you think. Or maybe it's just a man. 
Because you're at the point that maybe you're looking for any man or whatever the, whatever the case may be in your life today. But you're a woman and you meet a guy and he starts showing you a lot of fondness. And he starts being really nice to you. And he starts buying you gifts or whatever, the, that kind of thing that guys do when they're, when, they're, when they're working it and trying to make it happen and trying to be the dude. Good question is, what's your motive? What's your motive? Are you looking for a good time or are you looking to build a life? Are you looking to build a life of love and legacy serving God? I mean, what's the motive? It's a fair question. So I think, ladies, there's two questions that you need to ask if you're single today. The first question is, does he love Jesus? Come on, everyone say it with me. Does he love Jesus? Come on, does he love Jesus? And the second one, does he have a job? And those are two really fair questions. I mean, so she's like, okay, this guy, he loves God, obviously, right? And he's got a, I mean, he came rolling up there in an Escalade with rims. This guy was all decked out. He was wealthy, he was worthy, and he was wise. And she's like, okay, this might, this might work. But you think about it. I mean, you think about how she's thinking about herself right now. Come on, man. She has no money. She's a foreigner. She's a widow. She's walked through famine. I mean, she's got all kinds of stuff that's against her. And she's working out on the field. So she's got to be sweaty, right? She's got to be pitted. She didn't have, I mean, you think about it, ladies. You're getting ready to go on your date. You say, and he calls, I'll be there, you know, I'll be there in five minutes. Hello, no, 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 not five minutes. Give me four hours. <laughs> it isn't going to be no five-minute get-ready job here. I mean, in the natural, in the natural, why is he interested in her? You know why he's interested in her? Because he sees something different about her life. Look what he says to her. Look what he says in response. Why are you showing me so much kindness? So Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. Wow. Because she stayed loyal to Naomi. Orpah returned and went back. But this woman, Ruth, she was loyal. She had a heart of love. She loved this woman. She was willing to serve this woman. And ultimately, she left the gods of the Moabites to follow the god of Naomi. Boaz, like, you left everything. There's something different about you. You have served your mother-in-law. Your testimony has gone out through the whole community. People know about you. People, people are talking about you. You're different than the others. There's something about your life. And he says, the Lord will repay you for what you've done. The Lord will take care of you. He actually uses the word Lord and God. Elohim and Jehovah. The God, the God who is there from before creation. The God who is all powerful and almighty. He is the Lord God. He rewards you. It's God that put this in my heart. It's God that enabled you to find favor in my sight. It's God that touched us. It's God's providential hand that's upon your life that directs you and goes before you. But you got to see something about this woman, Ruth. It happened to Ruth. It didn't happen to Naomi. It happened to Ruth. It didn't happen to Orpah. See, Or Orpah, she started out in the path. She started out serving God. She started out in church worshiping, raising her hand, praising. But tests came. Trials came. Problems came. Ruth kept moving forward, kept pressing ahead. God is at work in her life. The God of Israel will bring you under his wings 
and provide you refuge under the shadow of the Almighty. The psalmist declares, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my refuge of my life. Whom will I be afraid? So you got to think about Boaz here. Boaz, he's looking at this lady. He's like, wow, hmm. there's something really, really different. Now listen, guys. So I talked to the ladies. I want to talk to the guys for just a moment. Now listen, uh, besides just checking out whether she's hot or not, you know, because here's the deal, man. Hell is hot, but no one wants to go there, right? So besides just checking out whether she's hot or not, there's a few things that I want to tell you. First of all, does she love Jesus? Does she love Jesus? Is she loyal to her family and to her church? Is she loyal to her family and to her church? And is she, is she diligent? Is she just looking for a sugar daddy? Or is she making sure that daddy, that father in heaven, is her spiritual daddy? Those are good questions to ask. I mean, there's got to be physical attraction, and we get all that. But the fact is, in this situation, Ruth was much younger than this man, Boaz. And so there was something in their life. There was something about this man that she, that, that he, and this woman that he noticed. And she, in verse number 13, she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She acknowledges the rest of this chapter, verses 14 through 23, is how that she finds God's favor and God's reward and God provides for her. She goes to the field and this man Boaz takes care of her and makes sure that she has more than enough. You know, as begin to contrast, the, con the story between Ruth and Naomi becomes very clear. You say, Naomi is back at home and she's still bitter. She's the Christian that sits at home and watches Christian television because she just can't find the perfect church. She's that, she's that believer that just sits at home, or maybe they still kind of drag their way into church, but they're disconnected, they're not serving, they're not taking their next step with God. They're, they're there because it's a duty, but they're not passionately in love with the relationship with Christ. <laughs> but here's this woman, Ruth. She's all in. And boy, she experienced a reward that she never could have planned. The reward of God was more than anything she could have ever dreamed of. And in the very last verses, in verses 19 through 22, I want you to see what happens here. And, so, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took note of you. She took her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. He was a wealthy man. He's a worthy man. He's a mighty man of God. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. Naomi also said to her, The Lord is a close relative of ours and of our redeemers. Wow. <laughs> she goes from bitter, a bitter, to a blessing. Heartful of poison to a heartful of praise. You know what that tells me today? No matter where you are in God today, there's still hope. You know, the downdraft, the trickle-down effect from Ruth to Naomi is that Naomi got to share in the blessing. Naomi got to share in the leftovers. She didn't do anything for it. She didn't work for it. She didn't show up. She was still calling El Shaddai, the Lord, the same word that she uses here just in chapter 1 where she said the Almighty has brought this death and pain and famine into my life, blaming God to the next moment using that same name 
El Shaddai, God bless them. God give him more. You see, the fact is today is that Naomi received grace, and she did absolutely nothing for it. And that's what every single one of us in this room we need today. We need God's grace. We need God's grace. There was a woman who led the way. There was a woman full of faith that changed the destiny of Naomi. But that choice for Ruth, not only to to go in that field and glean, not only changed her life, but it changed Naomi's life. And we will see ultimately that the great redeemer, the kinsman, this clansman, this relative of Naomi will become a redeemer for her. See, faith moves the mountains. Naomi had faith in the God of Israel. She trusted in the God of Israel. Who do you have faith in today? This weekend, my wife and I, uh, we went to the Southeast graduation down in Lakeland, and we heard a man by the name of Byron Pitts. I, I really didn't know Byron before, but Byron Pitts was the commencement speaker, and man, when he began to speak, his story just caused the room to go silent. Byron Pitts is a news anchorman for ABC's, ABC News, and he began to tell his story. He actually talked about this book, Step Out on Nothing. Byron Pitts grew up in East Baltimore and grew up in a very poor home. His mother was a single mom family, and life was very challenging and very difficult. Life, not only was it difficult because he was poor, but he also had a, a, an illiteracy problem. He had, a, he had a disorder where he's not able to read. He was called a functional illiterate. At the age of 12, he went to the school psychologist, and they did some, some, some testing on him, and they came back, and they, they said that he was retarded, and that he needed to go into a special program. His mom, he said, my mom, she said she was a Christian woman. We went to church every week, but she took lessons from some sailors. <laughs> she said, that ain't the case. She said, my son is not a moron. My son is not mental retarded. Up to that point, he had learned how to sight read. He'd had his brother or sister read books to him, and he would learn the pictures. He couldn't read. He stuttered terribly. And at the age of 12, his mother, his mother said, my boy is going to be different. My boy is going to have a different life. Uh, She went to a Baptist church in East Baltimore, and she used to wear a little necklace. And inside, on the end of that necklace was a little tiny, little tiny uh, uh, vase thing that had a mustard seed into it. And she would always say, the words of Jesus, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be removed. She lived by that verse. She believed that verse. She worked with her son for the next five years, and, and he began to learn to read. And at the age of 17, he, he made his way into Ohio Wesleyan University. He actually made it. He said, I don't know how I made it. He said, but I made it into school. He said, at the age of 17, I, my vocabulary was very limited, but I was determined that I was to become a professional broadcaster. I mean, here's a man who stutters, he can barely read, but in his heart, he determined that he was gonna become a professional broadcaster. He went on, he graduated from college, and he made his way around the circuit and bouncing around. He was actually here in Florida, he was right here in Central Florida in the 1980s as a, as a, a, a reporter for a period of time. And in 1996, at a church in Atlanta, Georgia, his pastor used the t- this title for a message, Step Out of Nothing. And the pastor contrasted how the the unbeliever, the person who doesn't have faith in God, they believe when they take another step, they're literally stepping out of nothing. They have no hope of a future. They have no hope that God is at work on their behalf. He said, versus the believer who steps out in faith. He said, the believer that steps out in faith knows that God is with them. God will provide. God will protect. God will be the source. He said he walked out of there. It was 1996, and he was an Atlanta reporter. But he had his dreams set much higher. 
he wanted to be a national television reporter. As a matter of fact, when he was age 17, he said these words. He said, I want to be on 60 Minutes. I want to be a reporter on 60 Minutes. As he, as he walked out of church that day, he stepped across the curb and a car almost hit him. He said in, the, in that very moment, he heard the words of the old hymn that they, they sang in his church. His eye is on the sparrow. Is not his eye on you today? In that moment, he knew that God's hand was on him. He tells a story. He says, in that moment, I determined in my heart that I was going to put my faith and confidence and trust completely in God. He said every day up to that point, first thing he would do is that he would go into the office and he would check his email. He said he stopped going in the first thing and checking his email. He said the next thing, he went back to work the next day and the first thing that he did is he opened his Bible and he began to ask God to bless him. He began to ask God to direct his steps. Over the next five years, he went from a reporter in Atlanta to being on the CBS 60-minute show in New York City. Come on, in five years, God completely changed his destiny. I want you to hear what he says today. I just want you, I, you got to hear this today. you got to hear how he says this. He says, God, I said from now on, I'm going to trust you and your purpose for my life. Not my plan, but yours. Not my plan, but yours. Who are you trusting today? Who are you trusting today? I want you to close your eyes. Father, thank you today that you are at work in our lives and our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are ministering. Lord, you are speaking. Lord, you are directing. You are guiding our steps. God, I know that in this room there are some who are in the valley of decision. God, there are some maybe like Naomi. You're still holding on. You, you can't see it. Lord, there are some of this and they just can't see how you are at work. God, I pray that that same faith, that same faith that resonated in the heart of Ruth, will resonate in their spirit today. God, it doesn't take much faith. It's just a mustard seed of faith. God, I pray that you will speak to them. God, you will speak to your people. God, I pray that you bring them a great sense of peace. Jesus, we ask this in your name. 